Thank you for listening to the New Life Church podcast. If you need any information about our church or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at newlifekingman.com. You can be seated this morning. Amen. Praise God. We want to release all the youth, the high school, junior high. You know, I feel really led to do something very quickly before we get into our message today. If you are here today or if you're joining us online today and you need a breakthrough, we're going to begin to pray for you. We're going to pray. So what I want to do is if you're here and you need a breakthrough, I don't care what the reason. I don't care if it's your health, your finances, your home, your family, your own life, your children, whatever it may be, whatever need, you need a breakthrough. You need victory. I want you to stand to your feet. If you're watching online, stand if you can. Just stand right now, right now, right in this place. You don't have to come forward, but you need breakthrough. Amen. 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 Let me tell you something. Our God is a God of breakthrough. Our God can make a way where there is no way. Our God brings victory where there is no victory. God will cause if God can get an army in a graveyard. Are you hearing what I'm saying? If he needs to raise up an army, he can do it. If he needs to bring finances, he's got it. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He is the author of peace and mercy and grace. He is more than enough. And so I want you to believe right now. And those around these, if you just lay your hands and others, just lay hands on each other. Right now, we're going to pray. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray for everyone that's seated and standing in this place right now. Father, that has stood up and said, I need a breakthrough. Father, we pray, God, for those online that are standing in their homes, God, and they say, I need a breakthrough. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, we declare breakthrough. We declare victory in their situation, in their need. We speak life, health, and wholeness by the stripes of Jesus. We speak provision. We speak direction. We speak deliverance. We speak forgiveness. God, we pray that you pour out your grace and your mercy right now. Lord, that you would make a way where there seems to be no way. And devil, we come against you. We bind you in the name of Jesus Christ. We plead the blood over you, and we command you to leave and to loose your hold and to never return in the name of Jesus. And Father, we release right now, according to the word of God, your angels. Lord, we release your Holy Spirit to move in this place. Father, we give freedom, God, right now. Lord, we submit and surrender our will to yours right now. And Father, we thank you for it in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Praise God. You can be seated this morning. Amen. If, if you saw during our last song, I'm just saying it's the Holy Spirit, but if you saw the light flashing and the alarm going off, I believe it's the Holy Spirit, but in truth, it's probably a little kid pulled a fire alarm, so... Say again? My son-in-law did that? My son-in-law, Alex Chadsey, did that. How'd he do that? Did he pull that one? Oh, that one back there. Okay. Oh, wow. I have to talk to my son-in-law. That ain't, that's not good. <laughs> did you have the key to the box? You're the man. Andy's the man right there. No, nah, we'll forgive Alex for that. That's okay. It's all right. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me over to Romans chapter 6. We'll get to that here in a minute. I, I, again, I just want to share with you a little bit that's on my heart and um, to help you understand where I'm coming from. This, this uh, series that I've been doing has been so rich uh, for me, and I hope that it's been rich for you. And it's something, I've really worked on this a long time. This is coming out of years of study. It's also coming out of years of real meditation and prayer and, and bringing this into my own life and actually applying this and, and trying to really walk this out. This has really helped me over the years to gain victory in areas that I never thought that I could gain victory. And, you know, when we start to... When we really start to think about what Jesus did for us, it's just an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing to think 
of, of God and his love and grace that from his place in heaven that he loves us so much. We, in comparison, we are so wretched, so wretched, but he loves us with an everlasting love and he made a way for us. He forgave us. Uh, he sets us free. He provides for us. Um, he truly is a good father. Can you say amen? amen? And as we've gone through this, we've taken time to look at various things. And, and, and to be honest with you, today we're going to get to some of the nuts and bolts of all of this and really kind of tighten some stuff down a little bit. Because as we do this, it, it is, as we grab a hold of this, and as we grab a hold of this revelation, it will change everything. It, it, it will change everything. I'm going to tell you, let me just say this, see if I can encapsulate this real quick. You are in every way fully, 100%, completely equipped for victory. Yeah. We sang that song, uh, uh, Breakthrough, uh, and we talked about, you know, breakthrough coming and victory now and all those things. And I'm going to tell I just, I have to say this to you. What Jesus did on the cross is so absolutely complete and so perfectly complete we should always walk in victory every day, every day, in everything. And I understand, I, I'll, I said this kind of in the middle of the sermon um, uh, in this morning at 8.30, but I'll say this now just to give context. I know that salvation, there is a duality in the Word of God because you can read the Word of God and you can see places where Scripture says that we are saved now that everything's intact, we're saved now. But yet there's this duality that we are being saved. So we enjoy, see, we enjoy this kind of um, hard-to-understand dynamic, and that is that we are completely saved in Him, but we are being saved as time passes. So we know that there's process, we know that there's growth and development and all those things, but rest assured, rest assured, the work that Jesus Christ has done in your life is absolute. It is absolute. It is absolute. It is full, complete, done. Okay? And that's what we got to get a hold of. And so in the last few weeks, it, it really has become abundantly clear that if we are going to live in righteousness, then we need to understand who we are in Christ. There is no doubt about that. When we understand who God is in us, and who we are in Him, it is at that point that we begin to discover our true identity. And it is through that true identity that we have this relationship with the Heavenly Father. I think a lot of times what messes us up in our relationship is that we don't understand who we are. See, when we don't understand that we are, in fact, the children of God, that we are the body of Christ, that we are the bride of Christ, that we are kings and priests, before him, that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. When we understand anything outside of that, when we understand different dynamics, it skews our ability to see God correctly, therefore hindering our relationship with him. And that's why we struggle in that relationship. So it is through that identity that we then are empowered to walk with him and to walk like him. And it's this dynamic, this, this dynamic of walking with him and like him that separates those who continually struggle in their daily walk with, with their Christianity from those who walk in victory, those who truly walk in victory. Listen to me this morning. Victory is who we are. Let me say that to you again. Victory is who we are. Romans chapter 8 verse 37 says this, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Now that phrase right there, despite all these things, if you were to go back and read what was written before that, you'll find that Paul lists a, a list of struggles, a list of things that we contend with in, in our daily lives. And he says, in spite of all that, it, it, it doesn't matter those things. He goes, in spite all of that, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. That is who we are. Whether you feel like it, whether you realize it, whether you know it or not, you are victory. 
Amen. The chore is the coming to know that. The chore is coming to realize and accept that. It is not something you can buy. It is not something you can earn. It is something you receive. Victory is not dependent upon what you do. Victory is upon receiving what he did, knowing who you are in him. Because then from that point, you begin to live. See, we tend to have the cart before the horse. The tendency for us in Christianity is trying to gain a position, trying to come to a place where we are victorious and we work really hard to win. And we don't win well. We just don't. The race is too hard. Life is too difficult. There's too much stacked against us. So Jesus came and he won. And then he says, I am going to give you my victory. I'll win the race. They'll call you the victor. That's who you are. And the only thing you can do is receive it. Now when you receive it, that identity, that dynamic, because it's more than just a title. It's a reality. Because you are victorious. You say, well, I never entered the race. Yep, I know. God says you're victorious. You get the prize. That's why he can use the phrase, more than a conqueror. How can you, when you've conquered something, what can be more? It means you don't have to fight. All I had to do was wake up and I win. Amen. I had somebody come to me. I told the, I told the, the uh, uh, church uh, this morning, 830, I, a few months ago, I had somebody come to me after a service and they said, Walked up to me, George was sitting there, we were talking, and the person looked at me and says, are you one of those preachers that just, you know, is happy-go-lucky, everything's going to be good and no problems? And I thought about it for a minute, and I'm sitting there, I go, that's an odd question, and I, well, yeah, I kind of am. I kind of am. Well, what about all the bad stuff? I don't know. Try not to think about that. So do you deny that there's bad stuff? Not even for a little bit. I just overcome all the bad stuff. He said, in this world, you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. I'm just not certain where I fall on that scale. So I've chosen to fall on the side that he says that I am. He says, I overcame, therefore you overcome. Yeah, there's tribulation in this world. There's trials, there's tribulations, but you are victorious. Can you say amen? Amen. And in Romans 5 last week, we, we, went to, we saw that Romans 5 goes to great lengths to teach us that because of Jesus and his work on the cross, we have been redeemed, we have been reconciled. You don't have to put that up there right now. That's going to throw me off. We have been redeemed, we've been reconciled, restored, and made righteous by no work of our own, but by faith in him. Amen. And because of this position of righteousness, we have been given peace, and peace has been restored between us and the Father. And we have now, listen, here's the, here's the really good thing. We now have access to His presence and power at any time for anything. Yeah. Are you hearing me? And we live, listen, we live in a remarkable state of grace. Are you hearing me? And Paul, what Paul does is he finishes, he finishes the book of, uh, or the chapter five of Romans with these two verses, and we need to catch it. In 20 and 21, it says, moreover, the law entered that the offense might be, that the offense might abound. But where sin abounds, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, 
even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So basically what he's saying is he's going, because of this incredible state of grace, he goes, this sin that was wretched and horrible and ugly and, and defeating and this thing that was killing you, it was raging and it was being poured out in droves. It was just being, it was coming in abundance. And God said, so what I did is I overcame all of that with even more abundance of grace. And he, he just comes and he says, look at I'm pouring out this grace to wipe away the stain of sin in our lives. But you know, Paul has to begin to deal with something in Romans 6. And he's kind of dealing with some stupidity here. Okay, it's the only thing we can do is just call it that. Because in Romans 6, 1 through 4, he starts off and he says, Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Well, that's just dumb. That's, 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 that's just dumb. You know, I, you know what? The, that phrase, and I, I'm going to stop there just for a minute. That phrase is, is really dope fiend thinking. That's how drug addicts think. You say, what, what, what do you mean? So here's the thing. It's, it's like, I'm going to keep myself sick so I can keep getting the good stuff. I told the church that about, gosh, this is probably about 20, 25 years ago, on a Wednesday night I was preaching and I was doing a sermon on healing. And so I had, a, I had people come up and had a healing line. And at that time I would go just like I do now. I, I'd go down and I was laying hands on them. But one of the things that I did back then that I don't so much do now is I would ask them, what do you need? What do you need? And I came to this one woman. She doesn't, she's no longer here. And so she, I, I, I came to her and I looked at her and I, I said, well, what can I pray for? And she goes, oh, pastor, would you just pray that I have the strength to deal with this problem in my body? And I said, well, why don't we just pray that God heals you? Then, then it's irrelevant, you know. Oh, no, no, no. She stopped me. I mean, she was adamant. She said, no, no, don't pray for healing. Don't. Just pray for strength. I said, why don't you want to be healed? She goes, I'll lose my disability. Yeah, that's what I thought. And see, that's the thinking that's here. Well, if, great, if, God, if God's pouring out His grace when we sin, then why don't we just sin like, you know, hell won't have it. So God's great. And Paul goes, what are you guys thinking? Listen to what he says. He says, well, then should we keep on sinning so that God's, uh, God can show us more and more of His wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, listen, since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we, were joined, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism, and just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives? Listen to what he's saying. He's saying, look, at, there's something better here. See, last week we spent the bulk of our time looking at this wonder of our salvation. And even when we are overwhelmed in sin, God by his grace sends Jesus to die for us. And Jesus paid our ransom. He satisfied the wrath of God that was upon sin. And he set us free. And it was nothing short this morning of the greatest demonstration of love and grace in all of creation. He who knew no sin, 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. And as we move into Romans 6, it begins with this astonishing question. Should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace. This is amazing because this question, no doubt this morning, reveals a couple things to us. Probably even more than a couple, but 
for my purposes, it reveals a couple things. That even in Paul's day, the first thing is even in Paul's day, people did not understand the dynamic of grace. They did not understand the dynamic of grace. And because, the second thing is, and because of their lack of understanding, they walked in a way that took the grace of God for granted. Listen to what I'm saying. Through salvation, through salvation, we have received this wonderful gift of freedom. Listen to what I'm saying. We are in every way free from sin. Like I said to you, (coughs) whether you know it or not, you are free from sin. I'm telling you today, the prison door is open, there is no hindrance, and you can walk out at any time. If you are still in the cell, it's because you haven't walked out. Are you hearing me? Acts chapter 13 Verse 38 through 39 says, Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from what? Every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. So Jesus came and did for us what the law could not do. He fulfilled the law perfectly, gave up his life, raised again from the dead, and imputed to us by faith righteousness. Made us righteous. He set us free from every sin. Amen. Let that sink in for a minute. Every sin. But there is a responsibility that comes with this grace. Galatians chapter 5 verse 13 says this, For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Listen, grace can be a dangerous thing when we don't fully understand it. Amen. Amen. And this is where I think the church gets its feet tied. So we just don't understand it. Because what happens is we come to believe that because of grace, it doesn't matter what I do. Amen. Because of grace, I can live any way I want. Because if need be, I'll just get forgiven. Come on now. See, the church has, by and large, lived in one of two extremes. Either they've lived in this extreme that says, I have grace and nothing I do matters and I could just go live my life and happy-go-lucky and Jesus forgives and everything's good and grace and mercy and, you know, it's okay not to be okay and all that. Okay. It is okay not to be okay when you come to him, but it's not okay to stay that way. Okay. Or we live in this side over here where we remove grace and we work and labor and we work and labor and we become so religious that we can't move. Neither of them are freedom. They're both a lie. Amen. Remember the story of the prodigal son? Well, imagine, if you will, a few years down the road from when he came home. You remember he came home and the father ran out to him and put the ring and the cloak and the shoes on and killed the fatted calf and older brother was mad, but everybody was celebrating. All that, remember that? Okay, now he's home and he's been home for a couple years now. He's settled into his routine. And he is enjoying life, and he is still amazed that not only was he restored as a son, but all that he lost, all that he had squandered, all that he wasted was completely given back. 
not only did he become a son again, his inheritance was given back. But imagine in that moment, he has a thought to himself. And I think, I need a break. I, I just... I just need to be me. Pastor, you don't understand. I, I, I just need to be me. I, I just have to have a little taste of the, the forbidden life. Just, just a little bit. Not a lot. I don't want a lot. Just a little. After all, I, I can get forgiven again. And maybe I'll even get a party. <laughs> See, when we hear that, we're shocked, aren't we? We're shocked by the arrogance of could anyone think that? The selfishness, the immaturity. But that is what Paul is dealing with when he's dealing with this question in Romans 6, 1. And it's exactly the mindset, whether you know it or not, that causes a person who has been saved by God's remarkable grace to f- refuse to resist sin in their lives. See, when we fail to resist sin... In our lives, we take grace for granted and we grieve the heart of God. Paul answers this very thing in verse 2. He answers, should we sin more so grace can be poured out? Of course not, he says. Since we've died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? You died to sin. You died to sin. You died to sin. I'm going to prove it. I'm not going to leave you hanging. This this is not my opinion. You died to sin. How can you live in it? How can we live in sin when we are dead to it? The only way is if we don't understand the work of salvation in our lives. And this is what the whole chapter of Romans 6 is all about. It's showing us that now the old man with his old sin nature is dead. He's dead as a doornail. And the only way you can get him to come to life is if you speak life into him. Do you know that? Do you know that you are like God and that you can speak life into existence? The power of the Bible says in Proverbs, I believe, 18, the power of life and death are in the tongue. You can speak life into things that ought to be dead, and you can speak death into things that ought to live. That's a different way of looking at it, isn't it? This is, this is the responsibility of grace. We could speak to that old man, and we could go, come alive, and he will. Therefore, if we sin, it's because we want to, or we've been deceived to believe a lie about who we are in Christ. In verses 3 and 4, Paul amplifies this reality because he goes on and he says, or have you forgotten? I love the way Paul's dealing with this. Have you forgotten? See, you have to understand something before I get there. The reason that he is posing this question in this book is because he's heard somebody ask this question over and over and over and over again. He has seen this dynamic. He goes, have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ and Jesus in baptism, we were joined, with, uh, joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. We were not only joined with him in death, but we were immersed in his life. Are you hearing me? So that upon his resurrection, we came back to life with brand new life. This idea of death is so fundamental. It is such a cornerstone of our salvation. Look at Jesus literally died. He was dead. This was not some fake thing. And you and I were spiritually dead in sin. 
This is not hype. This is not, they don't teach you this at preacher school so that you know how to move a crowd. This is biblical. When we were spiritually dead, the old man was fully in control. Sin ruled and reigned. But the moment we believed in Christ, something supernatural happened. Our old man, our old sin nature died, and we were spiritually brought back to life. Jesus told Nicodemus, you were born again. He also said later on, in Romans 8, that he is the firstborn of many brethren. Why? Because he was dead and he rose again. He came, it was a birthing, as it were, a type of birth. He came back to life with resurrection power. He was born again. He came back to life. Are you hearing what I'm saying? In Romans 6, 5 through 11, Paul unpacks this dynamic even further. He says, since we've been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. Listen to those words. Sin has lost its power. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead, and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now he lives. He lives for the glory of God. So now listen. So... That so is there because everything I said, this is what you need to do. You should also consider yourselves dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Listen to me this morning. The life of salvation is not some religious symbolism, nor is it for some time to come. Our salvation is real and it is for right now. We are right now in every way saved, redeemed, restored, reconciled, and made completely brand new. I don't care if you feel like it. I don't care if you know it. I don't care what's going on in your life. You're brand new. Our old man died with Jesus and we were raised to new life. And the moment we gave our lives to Jesus, listen, sin became powerless and we are no longer slaves to sin. We are in every way free from sin. So the question is, then why do I still sin? The only way is because we make a willful choice or because we've been deceived as to who we are in Christ. When we are deceived, when we buy a lie, we tend to speak those lies. We just speak it out. See, the devil will come in and tell you, you know what? You're no good. God really doesn't love you. You're not anything anybody says. You're a failure. You're a wreck. You're horrible. You're not even worth living. Why don't you just eat a bullet? And if you don't think that goes through people's minds, please. That's what the devil does. He's He's ruthless. And when you begin to buy into that, you begin to speak it. When you begin to speak it, you give life to that old man. That old man starts crawling up out of his grave. He starts gaining control. Or there's times when we go, I just don't care. Adam and Eve are in the garden. The Bible says that Eve was deceived. It says nothing about Adam. Adam blew it. Adam sold the farm. He wasn't deceived. He didn't even have the excuse of deception. He just went for the fried ice cream. And we probably ought to all get to heaven and talk to Adam a little bit about it when we get there. Maybe not. 
But he's standing there. The Bible, see, we get the idea that Adam's on the back 40 somewhere just doing his thing, you know, worshiping God. And, you know, Eve, you know, that silly woman, she's out there by the tree and she's where she ought not to be and she's blowing it. No, that's not the picture. The picture is she is deceived and the Bible says, and then she handed the fruit to her husband who was with her. And what did he do? He went, oh, well, it looks good to me. like you nodhead what did you do you just sold the farm deception always precedes sin and it's in that deception that we begin to make choices that we speak into that the death of that old man are you hearing what I'm saying listen I'm going to make a statement that it's going to be a little controversial. Jesus didn't die to remove sin and temptation from the world. I know people will often say, well, you know, God and the devil are in a battle. No, they're not. Not even a little bit. The devil says, I will, and God said, oh, you know you won't. And as fast as lightning, he was thrown out. Out. You're done. Nothing. No, I brought you into this life. I'll take you out of this life. Every mom and dad has thought that, or at least, you know, <laughs> I brought you in. I can take you out. And that's God. It's not like the devil rose up. Somehow Hollywood has taught us that the devil always has more power. He's going to win. Why is it that, the, you know, we have sequel after sequel after sequel of movies like, you know, Friday the 13th, this Jason dude rising back up. You know what? You're a devil and you're out. Yeah. You're done. I win. Yeah. Period. Say that with me. I win. win. Now, like you mean it, I win. win. Again, I I win. win. That's not arrogance. It's truth. It's what Jesus did. I win. Not because of my effort. Because of His. It was imputed to me by faith. Righteous. I am made righteous. Not because I worked and labored for it but because I believed Him. And now I'm victorious. He didn't die to remove sin and temptation. He died so that we through Him, we through Him could overcome sin and temptation. See, like I said, you know, to even compare God and the devil is just stupid. They're not even, it's, that would be like saying, like, let's compare the sun to um, a matchstick. Not even in the same realm, are they? Not even close. Not even close. There is no comparison. God has overcome in every way. He's overcome. But the, God decided a long time ago, he said, you know, I could solve this whole thing. I could just, and it'd be done. But I'll tell you what, I got a plan. I'm going to use my children to overcome the devil. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take my children, my, my precious little children, and I'm going to infuse them with my righteousness. Then I'm going to pour out my power on them. Then I'm going to teach them how to walk in that. And then I'm going to say, go get him. He did that so that we, like him, could destroy the works of the devil and lead a fallen world to him. But here's the problem. If we leave our flesh unchecked, it'll try to run over you. It'll try to take charge of your emotions. It'll captivate your thinking. It will tell you that you've done too much, that you don't need to do anymore. You know, just chill out. Hey, come on, why are you worrying about all this? Hey, you know what? You just need to kick back. Take it easy. Cut yourself a break. You know, just kind of, just, it will scream at you that you deserve to do nothing for a little while. After all, you deserve a break today. And it'll make sense. Your flesh will convince you, and it'll make so much sense. It's like, why? How can something 
that sounds so good be so wrong? And if you allow it to control you, it will carry you into a state of false security. You will lose your joy. You'll lose your hope. You will lose victory. And you will lose the very reason you're living. And in the end, you'll become weak, powerless, and devoid of the desire even to pursue God. See, when your flesh coaxes you into believing a lie about who you are in Christ, what you need to do is you need to shut its mouth. You need to tell it, shut up. I think I I told the 830 this. I think I told you guys this last week. We saw this little meme. Kathy was patted me on the head when we saw it. I I don't remember exactly. But here's what it said. It says, you need to tell the negative committee in your head to zip it and sit down. Sometimes what we got to do, church, is we got to go, wait a second, this is not who I am. I have to resist this. So the problem is we're waiting, we're waiting, and God's already done it. God's already brought the victory. He's already empowered us. He's already given us a new identity. He's given us a brand new life. He's done it all. He's even killed your old man with Christ on the cross, and now you've been resurrected with him through baptism to newness of life. He's given you this brand new thing, and what you need to do is you need to look at it and go, no. Now, let me tell you something, church. Your flesh is relentless. It'll hurt for a little bit. But, but, and it'll give you puppy dog eyes. It'll put out its bottom lip. It'll sulk, it'll sob. You just don't love me anymore. No, I really don't. I, I, in fact, I hate you. But, but I've been good to you. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. No one needs to know. It'll be your secret and my secret. I'll keep it private. Until you go for it. And it'll shout it from the housetops. It will lie to you. It will cheat you. It will destroy you. But what you have to do is say, no, no, no. And you know what? At first, it might be 500 times in that day you have to say no. You might have to yell it out loud. I've done it. Standing in the shower, get my mind all curmudgeoned and bumbled up and go, no. Kathy, what are you, what? (laughs) Pay no attention to the man in the shower. (laughs) No, no, no. No. What's the word? No. And then you grab a hold of the power of God and the truth of his word and you change the way you're thinking because then transformation will come. But as long as you allow that stinking flesh to produce a poor me mentality, you'll at best struggle and at worst you'll be destroyed. It's time for us this morning to do like Paul said in Romans 6, 11. He says this, Likewise, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed into sin, but alive to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what we're supposed to do. That word reckon means to consider, to think, to deem, to regard, to count something as done. But it doesn't stop there. In the Greek, it has a particular tense that means to do it over and over and over again on a continual basis. Therefore, this verse could be translated once and for all, deem yourself dead to sin. After that, keep it up. Keep counting yourself as one who has died to sin, but alive to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. And he doesn't stop there. He says, but alive to God. Don't just say no to the devil. Say yes to Jesus. I don't just say no, I'm dead to sin. I'm alive in Christ. Paul takes this a step further in Romans 6, 12 through 14. He says, therefore, don't let sin control the way you live. In other words, he steps up the ante. He says, you know what? Consider yourself dead to sin. Now, don't let it control the way you live. 
Don't give in to shameful desires. Don't let any part of your body become an instrument or a weapon of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin no longer is your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Here is the answer to it all. This is the fulcrum upon which all of the balance rests. It's our choice. I don't care what you're facing. I don't care what the temptation is. I don't care how long it's been going on. In Christ, you have the power to say no. And either you choose to say no because you, or you choose not to say no because you still want what your flesh wants, or you've been brought into a lie that tells you that you're unable to say no. And I'm telling you that's absolutely not true. You, according to the word of God, are dead to sin, and you are alive in Christ, and that is enough. But it goes on, and I'm going to finish right now. Jason can come if he'd like. Romans 6, 15 through 19 says this, and we'll finish up here. He says, well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, now here he answers the, asks the question again, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? He's deepening this thought of choice, isn't he? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you could choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from, from your slavery to sin, and you have become slaves to righteous living. Because of the weakness of your human nature, I'm using the illustration of slavery to help you understand all of this. Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led even deeper into sin. But you must, but you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living so that you will become holy. He's deepening this thought of death and life and choice. Are you seeing that? You are fully equipped, fully able, fully empowered. You identify, you are victory. You choose. And he finishes 20 through 23. He says, when you were slaves of sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. And what was the result? you're now ashamed of the things you used to do. That's the end in eternal, and that, and that end in eternal doom. In other words, those things end in, end in eternal doom. But now you are free from the power of sin. This is, he's talking a current condition and have become slaves to God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. Why? Because the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. This is such a powerful, powerful, powerful portion of Scripture. And church, when we really grab a hold of this, our identity and who we are in God, what He has done, I am fully empowered to say no. And I'll be honest with you, can I just, can I just be honest? There's times when my flesh wants to do what it wants to do. It does. There's times it's like, well, go ahead, look at that. Go ahead, think that. Go ahead, let go. Don't worry about it. It wants to. And you know what? Unfortunately, sometimes in my life, I'll trip because I'm still working this out. There's moments when I make mistakes. And let me tell you, this is why I love God so much and why he's so good. Because he says this, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sin and to cleanse us from all righteousness. 
I know today I've preached this, and I know this, is, this message has some teeth to it. It's challenging you to step up, to be better, to step into the place that God has provided, to step into the identity that he has so freely given to us, to walk in the power that he willfully pours out upon us. And many of us are doing that. But from time to time, we will stumble. And when we do, we have Jesus Christ, the righteous, the propitiation for all our sin. Do you know what that word Pastor Alex Wilson told me this morning? He says, you know what that word propitiation means? I always thought it meant that he stood in our place, but he said the basic meaning is it's a mercy seat. See, God knows that our frame is but dust. He knows that we're working it out. He knows that we're struggling. He knows that we're dealing with this. But look at church, we're able. We can do this. We can walk without sin. I know there's people, oh, no, no, you can't. Don't say that, then they're not gonna. No, no. When I tell you who you really are, when you really believe who you really are, you will be who you really are. You never look for the phony. You always look for the real. When you understand the real, you'll always reject the phony. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Church, you have been made alive in Christ. You don't have to submit to this anymore. All you have to do is say no. He will be there to empower you. At first, it'll be tough. I'm not gonna, some of you are dealing with stuff that's been around a long time. And I'm not saying that it won't be tough. It will be, but it's worth the fight. It's worth pushing through. It will get easier and easier and easier because you will get stronger and stronger and stronger. And you will be able to rise above it because that is who you are. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Why don't you bow your heads with me for a moment? Father, we thank you so much, God, for your word. We thank you for the revelation that you give us. We thank you, Lord, that you are teaching us how to live in righteousness. And Father, I pray, God, for every man, woman, and child in this place today. I pray, Lord, that your hand would be upon them. Father, as they are dealing with the daily struggles of life, as they are dealing with those things that come in and tempt them and and try to maneuver them into places where they ought not to be, I pray that you would remind us, God, of this truth that we would hear those words, that is not who you are. You can say no. Say no, and I will empower your no. Oh, Father, help us, I pray. Deliver us and set us free. Father, we thank you for the power of God that broke, God, the, 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 the chains of sin that enslaved us. And Father, I speak to every life here, God, no matter what they're struggling with, Father, that they would be free and that they would enjoy that freedom. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise God. I'm going to ask my uh, prayer team if they would come up front. And if you have a need of any kind today, come up and let them pray for you and let them minister to you. We're going to release you, let you go. You go have a wonderful Sunday afternoon. Remember, next week is going to be Romans chapter 7, and that should be a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to the New Life Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.